0: Well, what is love? I wonder how you would define it if uh, someone asked you that question or how you think of it in terms of your own life and the people that you love. When it comes to defining love, definitions of love tend to relate either to, uh, towards feelings of affection, so like I love my wife, I love my kids, or uh, high levels of interest, I love footy, I love sewing. Uh, Hopefully when you say those two things, you mean slightly different uh, things uh, and that your affection for the Sydney Swans uh, is uh, of a different nature to that of your family. When psychologists define love, uh, they do so like this, and of course we can be corrected later uh, if I get it wrong uh, by our very own, but love is a set of emotions and behaviours characterised by intimacy, passion and commitment. It involves care, closeness, protectiveness, attraction, affection and trust. Love can vary in intensity and can change over time. It is associated with a range of positive emotions, including happiness, excitement, life satisfaction and euphoria. But it can also result in negative emotions, such as jealousy and stress. Not too bad. I think we kind of broadly agree that the the, the psychologists are on to something when it comes to defining love. But, of course, uh, love... Uh, can be quite tricky to define uh, we live in a society that has a a little bit of a skewed uh, understanding of love where we think that the that love is about uh, enabling self-actualization so we think that uh, to love someone is to let them truly be uh, whatever they seek to be in their deepest of hearts desires and of course it only takes a a little bit of uh, uh, deep thinking to realise perhaps this isn't loving uh, at all or nothing like what true love uh, really is. Let me uh, take an analogy for you. If one of my daughters uh, was walking towards a cliff uh, and I say to her, "Uh, you need to stop that because if you walk over the edge of that cliff, you're going to fall off and die. But she says, no, I don't want to. I want to see what's at the bottom of the cliff. Uh, and this is my deepest heart's desire. And I say, well, like, it's very dangerous. This is a bad course of action. And she says, no, nope, this is what I'm going to do. And you can imagine my uh, five-year-old, uh, as she uh, sets out on her uh, uh, self actualization journey, uh, she walks over the edge and she starts to feel the thrill flying through the air. Uh, And she uh, thinks, this is pretty good. Uh, And she gets closer and closer to her desire. The cliff's looking pretty good. She's, you know, she's five, so her ability to kind of forward think, uh, uh, you know, may not be quite there. And of course, she gets right to where she wanted to be and splat. Turns out that That was a terrible decision and it's resulted in a terrible outcome and the loving thing would have been to just drag her back uh, against uh, her will. She was headed for death and the loving thing would have been to do to save her. But of course, our culture seems to say that regardless of outcome, as long as it hurts no one else, the loving thing to do is leave people be to their own desires. Well, the Bible has a different kind of version of love. And if Romans, in part, as we saw last week when we started on chapter 12, it has been, to this point, uh, a theological exposition of the mercy of God, it's also been uh, a demonstration and an explanation of the love of God, which is so intimately connected to his mercy. It's because God is love that he demonstrates his mercy. And, of course, in Christ which is where we see God's love, Paul tells us uh, in Romans, we, we see that uh, God is not content to leave us in our mess. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, Paul writes in Romans 5 verse 8. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The love of God demonstrated in Christ Jesus is sacrificial, other-person-centric. It seeks to save people from their mess by sacrificing the self for the good of the other it's also shown to be powerful those famous verses from romans chapter 8 starting verse 35 who shall separate us from the love of christ shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword No, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The love of God is sacrificial, other person-centric, powerful and compelling, refusing to let go of those to whom it has attached. And God's love is empowering. Romans 5 verse 5 Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When we experience the powerful, sacrificial love of God, uh, it's, his love is poured into our hearts by his Spirit, which transforms us and empowers us and changes us to live our new lives in Christ. And so Romans 12 now in view of all of this, in view of God's mercy, as Paul opens in uh, verse 1, in view of God's love, uh, calls us to offer our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. And just as last week we saw that looked like uh, using our gifts to serve the body, so today we see it looks like using our bodies to love. And we see that love ought to be demonstrated in two places – Within uh, the Christian community and to those outside it, particularly those who are out to get us, our enemies. So, what does love look like? Paul really is seeking in these verses to illustrate this sacrificial, uh, other person centric, powerful, life changing love of God in action in the life of the Christian. And again, uh, he's not writing an exhaustive list, but rather encouraging uh, the Romans to uh, to some of the ways they might put into action the love of God that they've experienced and now God is calling them to live out. As you uh, heard Romans uh, Romans 12 verses 9 through 16 read out, which talk about the love we're called to live out in community together perhaps you thought, there's there's like a 12-week sermon series on each of those prepositions. That's certainly what I thought uh, when I was preparing it. But uh, uh, we've done Romans for a long time, uh, and so really what I want to do is take a look at what Paul writes here uh, as a bit of a broad overview and encourage you to continue to reflect on these words here in verses 9 through 16, Paul's encouragement to to the Romans and to us of what love in action looks like when we live our, our lives together. So what does he say? Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honour one one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality, bless those who persecute you and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position, do not be conceited. This is what love looks like lived out in community. And we can kind of zoom out just a little bit and see the kind of themes that Paul uh, is uh, touching on as he lists off these uh, ideas for how we should live in love together. He says it there first. It's first of all a call to be sincere. Perhaps one of the most challenging, uh, perhaps he begins in the most challenging place. For love is to be without hypocrisy and from the heart. It's not enough for us to go around play-acting love. But actually, God calls us to actually want to love. It must be sincere. And so we need God's help to transform us and to grow in us a deep love for one another. We also see there in verse 9 that love must be discerning. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Love isn't about just giving people what they want, it's about doing what's best for them. So often, Christian communities go awry because we think that to be loving, we just have to let everyone be kind of happy, regardless of what it is that's making those people happy. But actually, True love, Christian love, Christian love lived in community is about discerning the good from evil and, and encouraging one another in that. It's sincere. And it's doing so not in a, in a power play kind of way, but in a truly, I love this person, I want what's best for them kind of way. So it's sincere, it's discerning, it's affectionate, verse 10. Be devoted to one another. Paul here uh, uh, conjuring up the the idea of family love. The kind of love we have for our children, our spouse, our parents, grandparents. This kind of family love is the kind of love that Paul calls us to have for each other. The level of commitment. Commitment. There was an older lady who uh, went to this church for a long time, uh, who passed away uh, late last year, who always talked about this church as her number one family uh, uh, because that's what she thought. She thought of this place as the first family. And her own family, which she loved deeply, came second to her love of this family. And there's something to be commended about that kind of attitude. We're to love with enthusiasm, verse 11, never lacking in zeal. That is, we're called as we love each other to encourage one another in our faith, to inspire one another as we do that, to continue to hold on to Jesus. We're called to be patient, verse 12. Joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. All of these can be caught up under that word patience because all of them are the kind of patient, loving attitude we're called to have as we live life together as God's people in a world awaiting Christ's return. Generous and hospitable, verse 13. Sharing our resources, welcoming our outsiders, seeking those who might be in need. We're called to love with goodwill in verse 14. Whether inside or outside the church family, our love ought to uh, turn persecution to praise and blessing and seek the good even of those who do us bad, whether they be internal or external forces, and we'll come more to the external in a moment. We're to have empathy or sympathy when we love. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn, verse 15. Our love for one another calls us to identify with each other and to go through life's ups and downs together as participants in one another's joys and sufferings. Our love for each other calls us to harmony, verse 16, to have one purpose, God's glory in Christ Jesus. This this is what kind of sticks us all together as we seek to live out our lives of love. And of course, again in verse 16, we see humility, not being proud, but willing to associate with anyone, especially if they look different. As John Stott says, what a comprehensive picture of Christian love Paul gives us. Love is sincere, discerning, affectionate and respectful. It is both enthusiastic and patient, both generous and hospitable, both benevolent and sympathetic. It is marked by both harmony and humility. Christian churches would be happier communities if we all loved one another like that. There's great challenge in these verses, isn't there? And I want to encourage you to sit with them to meditate upon them and to consider one or two areas you think that God might be asking you to practice in, that God might be seeking to grow you in. And work out ways that you can love with sincerity, discernment, affection, honour, enthusiasm, patience, generous generosity, hospitality, goodwill, empathy, harmony, humility. Where is it that God is challenging you and calling you to live out your life of love. Because let me tell you, this is, that's difficult, but this is where it's easy. All right? this is the easy. This is where it's easy to love, where we're all kind of trying to... Do, we're all looking out for the best in each other, theoretically, and that's kind of the stated aim for us, to live in a community that understands the love of God and seeks to live that out in our lives together. Where it gets difficult is what Paul says next, that we're called to love of enemy as well. Verse 17, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is, again, a call by Paul to Christ-like love. Paul has already explained to us in Romans 5 about God's love for his enemy. If while we were God's enemies, Romans 5 verse 10, if while we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? We were God's enemies, but in his love and mercy, he has called us out of that into relationship with him. He loved us when we were against him, when we were far from him. And so if that's the kind of love we've experienced as Christians from God in Jesus, then the logical thing we can do is extend that love to others as a demonstration of the love of God to our enemies. And of course, Jesus, when he was uh, walking the earth, called people to love of enemy and he demonstrated love of enemy. You think of uh, him hanging... On the cross. And in Luke 23 34, we read the words he says as he's uh, there looking at those uh, who have uh, worked to have him executed. Father, forgive them, he says, for they do not know what they are doing. They don't know that they're uh, complicit in the murder of the Son of God. Forgive them. Compassion, mercy, and love. In the moment when you would least expect it. But for Jesus, this is quintessential to who he is. This is this is what God's love is like. It it, it is compassionate and compelling even to enemies. And so we're called to demonstrate that in our life. But of course, this is not something we do in uh, something that we do where we do so by suspending the need for justice. In fact, Paul's encouragement to us, the enabling factor for Paul, is actually the judgment and justice of God who puts all things right either on the cross or on the last day. We're enabled to love our enemy because Judgment doesn't belong to us, it belongs ultimately to God. Paul's encouragement to us is to love and leave judgment and wrath and anger to God who will sort things out in the end. You see, it's only a firm trust in God's righteous justice that, that, that really enables us to allow us to leave the wrongs of this world unpunished, and to respond with radical love when we are victims. There are lots of people out there who don't like the idea of God's righteous judgment and his wrath. And in fact, the very reason they don't like it is because it doesn't fit with their view of love. If God is love... And if love is like all of those things that Paul outlines in the first half of our reading today, sincere, hospitable, generous, kind, then there can be no space, they say, for judgment and wrath. And this view of a kind of wrathless God who overflows with love and flowers and fairy dust Uh, is, is a common belief of many. They seek to make God more loving by making him less righteous. But that's not what the Bible does. In fact, if we're going to be people of deep, radical, outrageous love, then we need to actually understand our place. Under God. Because when we get a right understanding of the love of God and the justice of God. It helps us. It helps us to understand God's love better. When you understand that God is a God of justice. And that his love for us meant that he would send Jesus to take the punishment we deserved. Then we understand more of how truly and deeply loving he is. You you lose the logic of loving like Christ if you don't see the cross as both an act of love and of justice. And it is impossible to love truly evil people who do truly bad things, if there is no confidence in the justice of God, who is going to put things right and deal with those injustices, either in the person and work of Christ on the cross or at the last day for those who've refused to bow the knee. When we don't trust in God's good and gracious mercy and justice, then we're left to our own devices, to vigilante justice, where we seek to be judge, jury and executioner. Now there's a lot more that can be said about this and actually Paul is about to, in Romans 13, go on and talk about what role governments have to play in kind of Uh, executing judgment in the here and now and, and, and sorting some of the injustices out. And we're going to talk about that when we get to Romans 13 in two weeks' time. But for now, let me commend to you God's love and his justice. Just as Paul does here in Romans chapter 12. And let's trust God. Let's trust his mercy, trust his love, trust his justice and ask God's spirit to transform us that we can be people of love who love one another and who love those who persecute us, who are our enemies because this is the kind of love that God has shown us in Christ Jesus. When we trust God, we're freed to love like him When we trust God, he empowers us by his spirit to love like him. So let's ask him now for his help. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have shown your great love to us in Christ Jesus. We thank you that on the cross... You came to deal with our sin. And we thank you that you're a God of mercy and love and justice. Lord, as we understand you better, would your spirit continue to help us and change us, transform us to be more like Jesus, loving one another with sincerity Lord, as we reflect on those, uh, co- those instructions Paul gives in the opening part of our reading today, Lord, would you help us to consider those areas you're calling us into to deeper love for one another? And Lord, as we consider the need to love our enemies, we pray, Father, that you would help us to understand your mercy and justice and to love our enemies with radical love, just as you loved us when we were your enemies. Lord, in doing so, may we be people of difference in our world who turn the other cheek, as Jesus did. Help us to be radical in our love of enemy and of one another, just as you are radical in your love of us. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.